Amen. How about you stand as you're able for the reading of Scripture this morning. <clears throat> this morning we are continuing through the a letter of 1 Corinthians. This morning we will be um, reading from chapters 9 and 10. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being under the law myself. That I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. And then chapter 10. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the market, meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth it is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But... If someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. So Lord, as we sit in this place, I believe I hear the rain coming down, Lord. May it just be a reminder that you care for us, that you care for all of creation that you care for the righteous and the wicked all at once, Lord. So open our hearts and our minds and our ears and our very imaginations to be formed by this somewhat obscure text. In Jesus' name, amen. may be seated. I could just listen to that all day. (laughs) Don't fall asleep. (laughs) Um... It's funny, not funny, I, sometimes sermons uh, evolve from 7.45 to 11. And um, so this morning, I'm not going to be using many slides. If you want to follow along in the text, you're more than welcome to pull out the Bible. But this is what we're going to do. I'm going to kind of paraphrase what's going on and then figure out how we apply this to our lives. 
But today, we, um, if you notice, we have red up here on the altar. Um, today is Reformation Sunday. Last service, we had the full brass and handbells and timpanis and singing of Mighty Fortresses, Our God. It was great. And, and today, we remember and we celebrate that 500 years ago, a German uh, monk by the name of Martin Luther had read the scriptures, and his eyes were uh, took in the beauty of the gospel that we are saved by faith through faith in Jesus, period. And, and through the Spirit, through the Scriptures, opened this, this, uh, just this flood in Luther's heart that he had to reform the church. He had to call the church back to her first calling to preach Christ crucified. From the time the birth of the church in Acts to Luther was about 500 years. In that 500 years, the church had grown from this small ragtag bunch of people that were radically sold out to follow Jesus Christ. And over those 500 years, it grew with power and wealth and influence and dominated Europe. And it wasn't immune to the, the corruption and the disease and the distrust that comes often with power and influence in institutions. At the time of Luther, the church had lost her way. They were preaching not uh, good works, but, but uh, works righteous. That to, to earn your way into God's graces, there were so many things you had to do. You could even b- purchase indulgences to earn your way into God's graces. And it was slowly destroying the fabric of God's community. And Luther could not have it. He basically gave his life to saying, guess what? Because of Jesus, you and God are good. You and God are good. I have, uh, I love being part of our, our Lutheran tradition. I love being a Lutheran pastor. I have many friends who are not Lutheran and they like to rag on us. I'm like, well, you wouldn't be here if it wasn't for us. Like we started this whole Reformation thing. So like Baptists, non-denoms, like everyone besides Catholic and Greek Orthodox, like you're welcome. Uh, and, but they, they kind of the straw man of our theology is like, oh, you're the ones that like teach, like, doesn't really matter what you do. Jesus loves you because he died for you. I'm like, yeah, kind of. Yes. Yeah. Like God's love in Christ is so deep and so wide. Nothing can ever separate me from God's love. But I agree with them because kind of the character is that like sometimes we, we abuse that and we give it license to sin, Right. And that we just like, oh, Jesus loves me so I can do whatever I want, like in a sinful way. And if you actually read Luther, he hated that. He was so opposed to it. Go read Luther and his commentaries on the scriptures and all his writings. Like he was all about holy living. Like he expected the Christian to be obedient to the way of Jesus. There was no if, and, or but. It was like, Jesus says it, so therefore as a follower of Jesus, this is what's expected of me. Will I sin? Yes. Will I ask for forgiveness? Yes. But, but he, he did not have this idea of just like, do whatever you want. He's like, no, Jesus was serious about what he said. One of my favorite sayings of Luther that um, I think summarizes very much of what he was trying to get at and rings true in my heart is God doesn't need your good works, but your neighbor does. Like, all the great things you do as a Christian, God's not like, whew, good job you did those, or else. All the bad things, he's not like, uh-oh, watch out. No, you're good because what Christ has done, but your neighbor needs you to reflect that love to them. They don't even know it, but they need us to be little Christ to them. And these weren't original words to Luther. This wasn't his original thought. He simply read the scriptures. He's ripping off Paul. That's all he's really doing. 
Like he's just saying like, look what the scriptures teach. And that's where we find ourselves this morning in our text as we're making our way through the letter of the first Corinthians. Now, the last two weeks we talked about sex. So today we're talking about food offered to idols. Perfect transition. Like it goes straight from there. Like, all right, Paul, what was going on? Right. But we dropped in where I just read this long passage is in chapter nine. Actually, eight, nine and ten all go together. And you may be thinking, like, what does this mean for me? Like, I'm not going to the meat market worrying if the food was offered to idols. What does this mean? But for the Corinthians, this was an issue. Remember, they were first century, or first, they were first century, but first generation Christians. They didn't grow up going to Sunday school with grandma. They grew up going to the temple to offer sacrifices with grandma. And now Jesus has radically brought them into his family. And I'm sure they're going like, what do we do now? Because the world we live in still looks like what it did before we started following Jesus. How do we live our faith out in a world that is radically opposed to the way of Jesus? So chapter 8, Paul, um, uh, you would have thought when it comes to like the food sacrifices, he was a Pharisee. So like Paul loved rules. He was great at setting them. He would've, it would have been easy for Paul to say, hey, eat this not that. Don't eat this. You can eat that. Easy peasy, right? Like, I wish he did that. Like, I love rules. It makes life a lot easier, but he doesn't. He says, he basically, at the beginning of eight, he's like, hey, here's the deal. This is Anthony's paraphrase. Like, the gods that these pagans are offering uh, sacrifices to, they're not real gods, so it doesn't really matter. Go ahead, whether you eat it or drink it or don't, like, it doesn't really matter. Don't worry about it. But then he says, but, 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 there might be other Christians around. He calls the weaker ones. Maybe they're new to the faith or they haven't really wrapped their head how to get their conscience clean and all this. He says, if any of, if there's one brother like that, even one among you, don't eat the meat for the sake of their conscience. And he goes on to say uh, at the end of eight, like, I will never eat meat as long, like, he's just like, I'm going to be a vegan. Like, no, he didn't say that. That's why I don't eat meat. I'm just following Paul. See, I'm earning points with God. There you go. You know, but he's, he's then starts this string that he starts pulling through this whole passage of laying down these rights that he has or that Christians may have for the sake of a brother or a sister. Then in 919, he says, like, I'm free from all. He's basically saying a lot of Corinthians, what's going on, he's being accused by uh, people in the church. Like, are you really apostle? Are you not? There's all this accusation. Like, is your ministry legit? He's like, I'm free from all of that. Like, I know between me and God because of Jesus, I am good. I'm free from all of it. But I'm a slave. He said he's made himself a slave to all. And then he goes on and he starts listening. What I just read to the, to the Jew, I become like a Jew or the one under the law. I become like one under the law, even though I'm free from the law because I'm in Christ. And he starts naming all these people groups that Paul has given his life to, to become like those people, to get on their level, to understand what's going on in their brain and their culture and their worldview, not condemning them and judging them, critiquing, yes, but, but being empathetic towards them so that they may hear the gospel. And become followers of Jesus. He lays down all of his rights, all of his privileges for the sake of another. And we get to chapter 10, and and to us it sounds like a hypothetical question. But he says, 
uh, to the Corinthians, this would have been very true. Like, say your pagan neighbor, and when I say pagan, I don't mean that in like a mean way. Like, they were pagans. They worshipped other gods. Uh, your pagan neighbor invites you over for dinner, and you're a Christian. You've probably been like, oh, no. Oh, no. It's like me, like, oh, holy smokers are cooking. Like, oh, what am I going to eat? They, they actually take very good care of me. Vegetables are delicious. But, oh, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And he says, don't worry. Go to their house and just eat whatever's in front of you. Because most likely, you just, they got it from the meat market, so it's fine. You don't know if it was offered to idols. Like, you don't need to worry about it. And then he says, but, 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 but. If someone at the dinner party says, hey, isn't this meat delicious? It's because it was offered to an idol this morning. You have to go, oh, okay. Thank you, but no thanks. And he says that because it's for their conscience. Whether there was a commentator, as I was reading, saying there may have very likely been like another Christian servant or slave in the house, and maybe they would be offended by seeing another Christian eat of the meat. So for that person's sake, say, nope, I'm not going to take or as a witness to the pagan saying, no, actually, I know this was offered in worship and I can't participate in that worship, so thank you, but I have to respectfully decline. But he does it all to lay down his rights for the sake of the brother. And for Paul, this really wasn't about the food. I mean, it was in that context, but I think Paul had a bigger heart for these followers of of Jesus in Corinth of like, you need to get out of this in-out, black-white mentality. That you're free in Christ, but because you are free, you now get to enslave yourself to other people for their sake. And he goes on to say, well, whether, you, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Don't be a stumbling block to the Jew or to the Gentile or to the other Christian. Lay down your rights for someone else. Now, how many of us, when we hear this or when you read it, it's kind of clunky, like, oh, what? okay, following the train of thought. But most of us, if you've been following Jesus in this room or watching online, you're like, yeah, I know, as a Christian, like, I'm supposed to love my neighbor, right? The golden rule, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor. We would all, I assume, we would agree with that, right? Yes. But what actually keeps us from doing that? What actually keeps us from, and I'm not accusing us that we don't love our neighbor, but, like, we don't do it well most of the time, Right? What, what happened in Paul's life that allowed him to live a life of radical love for his neighbor? Because the word he used there in uh, 919 is, is servant. It should be translated, the Greek is doulos. And pretty much every commentator is like, servant is too weak of a word. It needs to be slave. That Paul enslaved himself to these people. He gave up all of his rights. For the sake that they may hear and receive the gospel. <clears throat> and this week, as I've been wrestling with this text, and, and uh, when I first heard it, <clears throat> or first read it, I was like, I got so excited. I'm like, oh baby, the law hammer is coming out. The congregation won't know what hit him in the side of the head. Because I read this text, and it's so easy to sit here and be like, Christians, knock off all the dumb things you're putting around the gospel. Like, 
The reason Luther was so angry was because the church had put all these rules around the gospel, keeping people from receiving the gospel of Jesus, that you have to do this or that. The reason Jesus was so angry with the Pharisees was because they put all these rules around the gospel. And we, as Americans in the South, put all these rules around the gospel. And I want to be respectful, but I was just at our pastor's conference for our district, and they were talking about how, how we can kind of start not attracting, but engaging with younger generations, because our church body is awful at it. And they, I was so proud of our district. They brought in younger pastors to speak. Like, I was one of the older guys of, compared to the speakers, right? And, and they called all of these older pastors in the room to the table of like, you need to stop preaching politics from your pulpit. You need to stop aligning with this social issue, but not this one and saying you're doing it because you're a Christian, because the younger generations who may very well agree with you, but they see you being connected to a political view or an ideology or a worldview that maybe they haven't thought through yet or they don't fully understand, but go, if it's that, tie, that closely tied to the gospel, I want nothing to do with your Jesus. I want to stand up and just like, <laughs> preach it, 30-year-old. And it was received well. Now, I, I did just bring the law. <laughs> I kind of snuck it in there. But if I told you just stop it, it's just behavior modification. Like you might go like clean up your social media feed, maybe watch like your news channel a little less, or at least like talk about it less with your grandchildren or something. But that's not what Paul was getting at. There's a heart issue going on here. You see, the reason the Pharisees put all these laws around, around um, the laws was because they didn't believe Yahweh was enough. The reason that the church put all these laws and rules around the gospel that Luther dismantled because they didn't believe Jesus was enough. The reason you and I put all these laws around the gospel, whether it's social political issues or it's just like you got to think this way or look this way or talk this way around the gospel, and we don't even knowingly do it most of the time, is because we don't really believe Jesus is enough. You really don't believe, I don't really believe the gospel is enough. And it shows up in sneaky ways in our life. Most of us aren't like, the Catholic Church in the 1500s, like, you need to pay your way into heaven. Like, no. But like, this text has made me search my own life over the last week, last two weeks. Like, I've been riddled with anxiety lately. And it's something I've dealt with, like, most of my adult life. But I'm like, ah, I conquered that. And like, oh, oh, it's back, Right? Or I wake up in the middle of the morning, or middle of the night, or first thing in the morning, and just like, oh, was I enough? Did I serve Bethany well enough? Was I a good enough dad? Like, did I totally mess Soren up because I didn't pray with him before I put him to bed? Or just oh, all these things that actually, like, cognitively, I know God's pleased with me, but all these things start 
being issues in my life where it starts questioning, like, am I enough? Am I good enough? Am I performing well enough? Am I making this person happy? Is, is this and blah, 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 blah. You know, I guarantee you, most of you feel this way at times. And then people look at my life and go like, if you're a Christian, but why are you just as anxious and worried and freaked out as I am? Like, oh, it looks like your religion's doing real good for you. And the shame cycle starts, and, and then I'm like, okay, I just have to try harder. I need to pray more. I need to get up earlier to, to read my Bible more often. And I start putting all these rules around myself. And I could tell you, like, I'm an ordained Lutheran pastor. I know my good works don't earn my way into heaven. I don't think they do, but maybe God will like me more if I do them. Maybe you'll like me more if I do them. Resonate with any of you? So how do we make that shift that, that Paul talks about, being free from all? Being free from all. You see, Paul, Paul's life before he met Jesus looked like he had his life all together. He was the Pharisee of Pharisees, man. Every little Jewish boy wanted to be Paul or Saul. But then he, he encounters the resurrected Jesus. And his whole life radically changes. He encounters the resurrected Jesus and his entire life radically changes. In 919, Paul says he's made himself a slave to all. He's enslaved himself because of what Christ has done. He's free from the opinions, the anxieties, the thoughts of humans, and free to love them in radical ways with no strings attached, because whether they receive it or not, it doesn't matter to him. It's God's work anyway. In Philippians 2, Paul uses a lot of the same language. He says, like, um, account, like everyone among you is running the church in Philippi, like, treat each other with humility and respect um, basically die to yourselves. And you, and you might be going, yes, yes, this is what we're supposed to do as Christians, but how, like, what's the, what, what's the magic step to get there, to have this shift in our heart or our mind? And then, and then he points to Jesus, and he says, um, have this mind among yourselves that is already yours in Christ Jesus. Then he starts talking about how Jesus counted himself as nothing and became a doulos, a slave that he humbled himself and became a slave to the point of death, even death on a cross. What did enslavement look like for Jesus Christ? It looked like death. And Jesus is the true human. So our truest humanity is lived out when we live and serve for other people other than ourselves. I asked my wife if I could share this story, and she said yes. She's like, it's kind of silly, but fine. Um, the way I've seen this play in my life, like, often, like, I think, and maybe you do too, like, I can ascent to, like, theological heights, and then all of a sudden I'll fully embrace, like, all of the teachings of Scripture. Or, like, oh, I'll know Jesus is enough when I go to another Bible study or hear another sermon. And, like, I don't think that's how we're designed. We're actually designed to live this stuff out. Fridays are my day off, and... Um, Fridays, I'm such an amazing husband, I try to clean the house on Fridays. Now, I have a toddler, he's disgusting. Like, the floor is gross. Um, I have a cat who's a furball. Uh, the devil lives with me. It's, it's gross, right? Do you think I wake up Fridays and be like, 
Time to clean. I'm so excited. No, I'm like, honey, do you know how hard I work? I'm a pastor. I work, I work for church people all week. I deserve a day off. I'm going to go sit there and pray and go for a walk and watch way too much Netflix. And no, I, I don't tell her that. I, 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 I clean the house. She's like, but that makes it sound like I don't clean. Like, no, she cleans. She birthed our child. She wins forever. She wins forever, right? But over the 14 years of marriage, like, I still to this day don't wake up on Friday and be like, I can't wait to clean the house. But I love seeing my wife Friday afternoon take a breath because that's one less thing we have to do on Saturday as a family is clean. That she feels seen and heard and loved. I know me cleaning the house, her love for me does not hinge. I had to affirm that. Like, wait, you don't love me more because I cleaned the house. She's like, no, no, but it does, it helps. (laughs) Now you might be thinking like, well, you see, we only really do those things because they make us feel good. Because do I feel good that my wife feels good? Yes, right? But what if that's how we're actually designed as human beings? If Paul enslaved himself, and that's how he found freedom, if Jesus, who is the true human, enslaved himself by being a servant, what if the trick to being free from all of these things we wrestle with, from self-righteousness and and laws, is actually by becoming servants? That's when we lay our lives down for other people, when we die, we actually experience life. God doesn't need your good works, but your neighbor does. So this week, you're going to leave here in a moment. And you're going to have opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to serve your neighbors. This might be really bad pastoral advice, but like if you have an opportunity to serve your neighbor and you think it's going to make God love you more, you probably shouldn't do it. Or you should just do it because you know God already loves you and it's just your calling to love that person. Are you going to fail? Yeah. Do I clean every Friday? No. But we're good with God. That's the good news of the Reformation. That Christ has died for you. Christ has risen for you. You now have new life because what Christ Jesus has done for you. So brothers and sisters, on this Reformation Sunday, may you embrace the free gift of the gospel. And may we learn as a community of Bethany in South Austin and beyond how to enslave ourselves to those who don't look like us, who don't vote like us, who don't listen to the music we listen to that don't look like we do. May we become all things to all men so that we may win some for the gospel. Holy Spirit, inspire us and fill us to take this obscure text about food offered to idols to see it's really not about the food. It's about loving our neighbors in radical ways. Come Holy Spirit.